0: Welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all over the world. It's weird to me that you haven't been on the podcast yet, Matt, because you and I have been friends in the diabetes community now for, for many years. So when I discovered you hadn't been on the podcast, like it just, it just in my brain, you already had. So welcome to the show, Matt Tarot. And I see Forrest back there in the background. Uh, your your diabetes alert dog. Welcome back to the show, man, or welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Rob. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, excited to be here. Forrest shares that excitement on this Monday morning, so excited to get into it. There are so many amazing people living with diabetes who are doing things, Rob. You are, are doing such a wonderful job. You've got a lot of episodes, but, like, dude, you have a long way to go. So there's a lot of amazing people still to get to. So uh, shout out to all the past guests, future guests here on Diabetics Doing Things. Decided to
0: get into it. Fun topic today, yeah. huh? <laughs> big, big fun topic. So you you were actually, but well, before I want to touch on that thing, there are so many people doing amazing things with diabetes. Yeah. We have unlimited IP that we could tap into on this show. And I think, you know, recently, one of the challenges that we've had is like, we have not enough time in the day to record all these great stories. So like, you know, getting more buttoned up and more disciplined on our team on how we make sure to, Make people feel seen and make people feel heard and and like have enough space for for everyone. So as you guys know, if if you have reached out to try to be on the podcast and we haven't gotten to you yet, it's not personal. We're working through it and we want to give more opportunities to to people to be on the pod. So
1: you can also text Rob if you haven't. His phone number is (laughs) four (laughs) nine.
0: Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people do have my phone number if you've emailed me. I I realize that's in my signature now. So I got a call from someone the other day. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. You have my phone number. So, yeah. Yeah. You, I want to give you, before we get into your story, huge props because you live in Denver now. Uh, Our paths have crossed over the years on multiple, you know, patient advocacy councils and with Bolus Maximus and uh, working with Beyond Type 1 in the past. And, you showed up for us big time. I just want to give you a huge shout out for the work you did for us on Diabetes Legends. You showed up with your whole video rig with your DJI or DJI Ronin, you're walking around, you got amazing shots of the camp that we now have forever. So, what was a really amazing Saturday for people with diabetes. You captured for us, and I just want to I'm so grateful for that and I appreciate you giving up your time uh, for that. So, during that trip, you and I were heading to the JDRF walk for the JDRF Mountain West chapter, and Mm -hmm. you had made some things and you are a creator and an artist. I want to get into your journey as well, but you were explaining to me something about being on state insurance and in the state of Colorado, there's a cap on how much money you can make to be eligible for the insurance coverage, which allows you to access your insulin and diabetes supplies accessibly. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, that was the, the impetus for today's episode. But before we get into that, I want to hear just a little bit more of your story for, the, for the, the guests, like your journey and diagnosis with type 1 diabetes, you know, even moving from Rhode Island to California and now in Denver, like you're overlanding. There's a lot of really interesting diabetes-centric topics we can talk about. And even though we're only going to be here for an hour today, I think we can cover a lot of that ground pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, definitely. I appreciate it, Rob. Thanks for the shout out. It was super fun to do that with the Diabetes Legends uh, events and, and young people coming to play some basketball and learn some uh, particulars for their future. So uh, I appreciate you, you know, allowing me to be a part of it. But I also think it speaks to the larger conversation about creators and, and people who do have this talent, right? So uh, I grew up as an artist. Uh, I was diagnosed with diabetes at 16. I've always had I've always been, pun intended, drawn to art in colors, shapes, lighting. It's always been something that that really fascinated me. But it also was something that my father bestowed on me as a as a father, son, and and all of his children were around. But not every one of them picked up a camera like I did. So I had that with my father, and he always took eight millimeter videos back in the day. You know. I grew up very privileged in the state of Rhode Island. My father was a a physician and my mother was a nurse. So coming from a place of privilege, I had an opportunity to get my hands on cameras when I was younger and where other people didn't have those things. My father used to bring his portable television to places that like it, it's, it was like, it's the size of like a boom box and it had a tiny screen on it. Like he would, he brought places.
0: We, that I, I I relate to that, especially like I, I also come from a place of privilege and my, you know, my dad loved emerging technology. I share that with him and we had a, a portable television with a VCR built in and it was like about the size of a cooler. But we would like on road trips, like put it in the car, like on the on the little center console of my of my dad's like suburban and we could watch yeah. videos in the backseat. It was like the peak of luxury.
1: It was, and it, it speaks to really what when my father, as as we say it, and we kind of giggle, but knowing the work that we do now and who it is that we look to help serve now in the future, knowing how special it was to be in that space with my father and him doing those things, it it was a personal thing. But looking back, I recognize how when somebody who works like that has an opportunity to relax what does he want to do like that's all he wanted to do and Hmm. so uh video visuals that was always something we had tvs in my house we had audio equipment in my house and so for me it's always been about how how does that soak in into what my world and what i've done so when i was diagnosed with diabetes at 16 i wasn't this big full-blown artist and doing all this fun stuff but i would draw and i would be in this position where I wanted to create things and I wanted to have the ability to do that. So as I grew up drawing, everybody drew, not everybody was taking photos. So I I got more into shooting with GoPro like I'm using here today and shooting with cameras. Actually, the first first camera I shot with uh, the first GoPro I have right here didn't even shoot 1080p. The highest frame rate was 30 frames at 960 so we've come a long way baby and knowing that that progression takes time what i was able to do was i focused on uh the things i was able to get my hands on first and so that was cameras and the audio kind of came later where i'm at now with the podcasting with brandon stuff we've done in the past we plan to do more in the future coming back at it but really I, i i it's to my father and to all our fathers right who, who had those things in their lives that ultimately now we see the visuals the elements that people really find there's a lot of money behind that stuff I didn't, I didn't start doing it for the money right? Into that. I did it because that's something that I felt comfortable doing and I really enjoy doing so that has really been that was my foothold in video production and then from there right now it's, it's really been in the last couple of years about painting so personally, I'd always been drawing, but I really never had an opportunity to use spray paint in Los Angeles. Uh, first of all, shout out to Brandon A. Denson, like he came to visit, and while I was in uh, Los Angeles, I was like, man, let's let's go over to these Venice walls, like let's paint real quick. That was my first time doing that. He was there, Josh was also there. Shout out to Josh. We had an opportunity as a group to do something, and I found that. Like we were all shooting cameras, like nice, big, you know, with our big Sony and Nikons. And I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta paint this wall. I had never done that before. So at that time, I really needed some people around me to make me feel comfortable about what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, my public projection of my art became like a much bigger piece of who I was. I was like, you know, living in Los Angeles, 2014, 2015, I'm making videos, I'm putting them up online, feeling good. My confidence as a person was growing. My diabetes was like, all right. But my confidence as a creator started to grow. And then ultimately, you know, in the five years since, that world and the diabetes world has really merged to a place where like-minded individuals, ourselves, shout out to Eric Dowds who lives you know, pretty much down the street from me now, we, we find ourselves merging those paths where the diabetes world and our creative worlds were like, hey, I don't have this podcasting set up because I think I sound good. I have it because Brandon and I needed to reach thousands and thousands of people, specifically men and young men who are living with diabetes so that we could open some dialogue and conversation about things that aren't being talked about. So ultimately, you know, I think that background is, has truly helped get me where I am today. And I'm very fortunate for it. I, it's not something I take for granted. I'm very thankful and I want to give back in that way as well.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that because there's a couple of things I want to pick up on. A is like the importance of community with creators. You, you mentioned Brandon, you mentioned Eric, also friends of the pod, you know, friends of mine in real life. And also like the evolution of a creative is not always linear and I think you especially and this will feed into the transition of what we're going to talk about today with access and access for creators is that you have been on both sides of this like right now you are very much I would characterize you as an artist you're a full time artist in that your work is at Matt tarot art and design and photography and videography and overlanding and you check in and punch your timesheets there every day. Uh, in the past, though, you have been like very much at like big tech companies or at large media companies and like very much like a more traditional, quote unquote, traditional career path to help with like, you know, your your income more consistent and probably, you know, a higher rate because like tech companies and you know big companies, it's like that career path, corporate America. You also get the insurance coverage aspect of it and like the career growth. But I think something that I've observed and I don't want to speak for you, but it seems as though those types of environments, while in the short term, provide you with the things that you need to live, they also take away some of that improvisational freedom that allows you to be the creative that that you are.
1: Yeah, I think the the way people uh, use the pun, it it, it takes the rug out from under you, right? it, it eliminates a little bit of your your flow, your ability to do things and, and just kind of go with it. So because I've worked at those companies, I had my ability to do the stuff on the side. While I was working at big tech companies, I was making good money. And, and you're right. The money element is nice. Was nice, has been nice, isn't nice now because I'm unemployed. But the reason I got those jobs was number one specifically, insurance. It was always I had a father who was a otolaryngologist and ear, nose, and throat doctor. My mother was a nurse, a recovery room nurse, an allergy room nurse, for twenty-five and forty years, respectfully. So when I was, and they've both passed. So for me now, it was really like they told me the one most important thing they got across to me when I was leaving the nest was you need insurance. Any job you get has to give you insurance. If you don't get insurance, you're going to suffer. And it wasn't like, Hey, this is going to X is going to happen. It's like things will happen. You need to know how to prepare for them. And so Mm. I took that and I just, that's always been my number one. Like I got to get insurance. I got to get insurance. So as an artist, While you're creating and you have this space to create, it's usually like a contract or a diem like, we need you to shoot X tomorrow for $500. And that's it. All right, well, in the state of Colorado, let's get right to the the crux of it, right? Currently, in the state of Colorado, if I'm not working for a large company, my most recent job was with Havas Media. It was a contract position. They did not offer me insurance. Prior to that, I was with Oracle. Everything, 401k, benefits, everything. I had everything. That was still, that was during COVID. I got let go from Oracle and immediately applied to get Colorado insurance. This is where I was living, this is what it, so I get insurance through the state of Colorado. As I get my insurance, I'm, I'm learning, I had it in California as well, I'm learning that the government will allow anybody who is living with the needs of state insurance, like immediate state insurance, if you started making money again, anytime during the pandemic, they wouldn't kick you off your insurance, where typically, <laughs> it just happened to me, because you have to report what you're making to the government, government's like, ah, oh, check it out, Al you made X no longer qualifying for your medical insurance. So what's happened over the last couple of years is I've gone in and out of full-time positions, but I've also had the ability to stay on state insurance in the state I was living in. And if I wasn't working full-time, I was living off savings and starting to look for ways to get myself out of that world and into a world of, I want to create, but I, I need insurance to be able to do that. So it got to a point where I, I didn't, I wasn't going to stay in California. I moved to Colorado, and then ultimately, in the last, you know, s- several several months in last year, I lose this insurance with Oracle. I get hired with Havas for Havas Media to do what I've done, getting paid ninety five dollars an hour, like a good hourly rate. an hour. Uh, Yeah. If I worked one week with Havas, I would have tripled the amount of money I could make in a single month under the Colorado insurance. So, so let's say that again. So, so you work at that, at
0: that contract rate at, let's just say 40 hours, which would be probably your like weekly max, like for a full-time employee, right? You is triple the amount of money that you're allowed to make in order to stay on in a month in order to stay on Colorado state health insurance as you're currently on.
1: Like two, 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 almost like two and a half. But I just did the math. But yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. So just to put the numbers in perspective, what I'm saying is for a single week, and this is what I'm worth, right? What I do, where I've worked, my experience, I'm worth $100 an hour. And so I say that to companies now, that's $200,000 a year for one week of work. That's $3,800, 40 hour week, right? $95 now is $4,800. That's $3,800. You're only allowed to make $1,616 a month to be qualified for the state insurance in Colorado. Dude, for the year, that's under 20 grand. I'm trying to tr- I'm trying to take contracts worth that. That's what I'm supposed to make in the entirety of the year.
0: Well, and then then you start to because not all chronic illnesses are created equal, right? You know, some people some people need or you know their medication needs are such that if they get kicked off of that state program that it wouldn't necessarily be a huge financial impact, although I imagine it's it's big no matter what. But so you're now at the point where like you said you're trying to you're going upstream for jobs and, and gigs and and your art but you're having to weigh that with okay is this enough money for me to afford my insulin because you went to the pharmacy you shared the photo right after uh, my visit to Colorado and that was kind of the impetus for this conversation because your costs go dramatically increase like so you're you're yep. you know with the on state insurance your insulin copays 15 30$ right like it's just covered like normal but then as soon as you capped that number as soon as you hit that you know the weekly the weekly work for havas or or whatever project that comes in at your rate your insulin cost immediately went to three hundred dollars a vial four vials twelve hundred bucks
1: yep yep and and the overall price was two thousand five hundred and like sixty dollars for eight vials of insulin that's roughly 90 days worth of insulin for me and so ultimately that is not, it's not viable, man. It's just the, the numbers and I'll put it to you like this. I live in Denver. I live pretty much downtown in, in about, about five minutes outside of downtown, but in an industrial area, my rent is $2,500 a month. I have a whole house, a two-bedroom house with a dog and a backyard. I have parking spaces. I live in a very busy area. I just, that's a lot to pay. It's also, I'm paying for my amenities. But where I am, you're you familiar. Where I am in the city is unique. And what I have in in the space that I'm in is also unique. So, having the backyard and the time, I needed that. I needed it because I paint six foot canvases with spray paint that I can't do in my house. I need space to do it in. And I kind of have the ability to do that. I only moved here because I could show them a paycheck. (laughs) From, from Oracle, which was similar, you know, that's like $65, $75 an hour compared to what I was making at the next job. S- the state minimum or what's the, the minimum wage right now is like thirteen fifty or $15. I mean, there's, there's no middle ground. There's no way for individuals to have the ability to live with a chronic illness comfortably. And have to worry about extreme overstep and insight into your life from pretty much every agency, every facet of everything that's involved. Your job needs to know. You're going to have to choose insurance with them. And then I really, this is a big, this is a whole separate conversation. But realistically, I have taken medical leave from work, from those major corporations, If you're hearing me right now, your ears are ringing. If you're working for a major corporation, look into medical leave for your type 1 diabetes. There isn't anything that says if you have type 1 diabetes, do this. What it's saying is if you need time away from the workspace, from your office, from your work to get paid. I've done it twice at two different companies. They will let you do it. Not only will they let you do it, they have to let you do it.
0: I was going to say, you're, it's it's not a let you type of situation. You are covered. Your diabetes yeah. is covered underneath yeah. those. Yeah. yeah,
1: I guess language is important always. I'm not a medical professional, but I can advocate for people that know living with diabetes is stressful. It takes so much time to really understand what, you, when you need it, how you need it. You need that time, like either alone or with your doctors, or like for a str- I took ten weeks both times. One time I took twelve weeks, one time it took ten weeks. Paid time off. And was that
0: under the short term disability policy? FMLA. FMLA, yep.
1: Yep. And it was all covered. I could take however long I was I wanted to. So essentially I took one I was at MediaCom and I I was distraught. It's like two thousand sixteen. I'm like creating, but I'm not doing it in a way where like the media agency I'm working with and I'm sitting down with like a C-level, a mentor, a true mentor and pioneer in the space of ad measurement and digital advertising. He's not a nobody. Shout out Joe Barone. I sit down with Joe and Joe changed my life. I sat down. We sat across from the office. We sat at a bar. We had lunch. We had a beer. Joe worked in New York City. I went out to L.A. to transition the NBC Universal, maybe you've heard of a business, from one media agency to theirs. That's why I was hired. That's what I did. I went to Los Angeles. And then for like eight, nine, 10 months, I'm out here plugging away 50, 60. I'm just going crazy. I'm like, man, it's cool. But like, I need weeks away from an office. And he goes, you should do it. He goes, just go. He goes, take leave. And go, and I was like, "Whoa, I could do that!" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, we'll file, we'll do this and this." I hadn't, maybe I'd heard about it before, but like I didn't know when the managing director of my team <laughs> says "GTFO, pal," and, and yeah. take your camera and go do it, dude. That was how I changed my Instagram name became the Drop because the trip I took was four thousand miles, three weeks. It was in the shape of an upside down drop. Like all of that stuff just changed how I I decided I was going to move forward because I was like, I want to do that. I'm stuck here in the office, but I want to do that. And so, yeah, having the the ability to do that, that's major privilege. That's an honor. That's time, space, the elements. I got in my car. I drove 4,000 miles. I went to six, seven states I had never been to. I camped more times in three weeks than I ever had in my whole life. That was the beginning of this journey. It's all these maps on the wall. I've been to twenty six national parks, and I've traveled one hundred fifty thousand miles around this part of the country. Like
0: that's where I. That's what I want to get to too, because you you've hit on a couple of points that I want to highlight. And one thing that I've realized over the past year or so, at diabetics doing things is that a this podcast only exists because I'm a diabetes creator. I wanted to do this and it, and it has continued to fuel my curiosity uh, and my ability to meet amazing people and find friends and community. You are also a diabetes creator. And I think, you know, in a way like a multi-hyphenate and, you know, you talked about photography, podcasting, art, painting, drawing, traveling, camping, mm-hmm. storytelling. And also you talked about something that I think has been really centric to me. Because I have seen so many people, because of my time in the diabetes community over the past eight years, I've seen so many different people come and go. And they burn out for one reason or another. Sometimes life gets in the way. When I was really big in the improv community here in Dallas, they would just become like a certain age where you'd lose like 80% of this population. They'd get the dream job or their careers would take off and they had to spend more time. Or they you know, started a family and the family became the number one and most important thing. And so the creative side project kind of goes away. And so you lose and there's like a natural burnout and attrition. But one thing that I've noticed for people with diabetes who are creators is that they are creating to meet a need that would have helped them in the past. Like, so it's need based. Yeah. And there's too much of a, I think this is just Western culture in general. and, And I'm sure you see it more on the art side as well, but like, There's too much of an impetus on monetizing your concept. And like, because if you're going to spend a lot of time, you've got to be able to make ends meet. We've all got rent. The rent's due every month. They don't care if you're an artist. They don't care if you're winning a Nobel prize. They want that rent. And so, especially in the West, like you've got to do that. You've also got the difficulties of insurance coverage, right? Like you're paying you and your parents talking about those things. That's what comes to mind for me. You know, I, I talk frequently about what my doctors told me when I was diagnosed is you can any dream that you want for your life is still within reach as long as you take care of your diabetes. But what does taking care of your diabetes mean? It's not just carb counting and insulin dosing. It's also insurance coverage. It's also blood work. It's also pharmacology. It's also exercise. It's also sleep. It's all those things, all those inputs. Yeah. And great point. Yeah. Burnout is like a huge component of it. And so, you know, for me, I think of, There's a couple of creators in particular who I noticed and I missed because I was like, man, these people had amazing content. They had amazing vision. They had amazing momentum and people were receptive and still they burned out and still they needed time. So because of all these things. So I think what I want to speak to at least a little bit is like. Your journey has not been particularly linear. You've been exploring. You've expressed curiosity. You've experienced burnout. So, what I want to know is, in those moments where you had to advocate for yourself in the burnouts phases, each one of those led to the next thing that you're doing. So, how, how how have you navigated that throughout? You know, especially the last few years.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a great question. And I, I the point in case, right? Uh, something as simple as. My G6 sensors are out. I have no more. I tried to use the G7 today. It failed it, within minutes. I took it off. Now I'm stressed because I won't have my link between my devices. Now, sure, I got to prick my finger for 24 hours. But like, it's something as simple you know, as that. But anyways, pushing myself, right? So I take that trip and I go and do these things and I go, I, I want to do that more. I'm from Rhode Island. Shout out 401. But uh, if you know anything about Rhode Island, it's tiny. There are no mountains. There's a lot of snow. We're adjacent to the ocean as being the ocean state. But your exploration really wasn't as vast as your imagination could ultimately become. So Hmm. I never got to a point where I felt comfortable exploring in my own backyard which is an in and of its own thing. I'm like, yeah, it's all right. I go, have, have you been to Yosemite? Have you been to Yellowstone? Have you, been, have you ever been to Montana? People are like, yeah, you should come home. I'm like, no, 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 Home has so many deeply rooted trauma triggers. As much as I love being there to see my family, when I'm alone there, It's devastating. I've lost my parents, some of my best friends, a lot of people in the state of Rhode Island, a lot just recently too. So outside of the stress of working a full-time job or having this and that, there's just these life things that we have to deal with that are never comfortable any which way it gets shaped up. For whoever it is, no matter where you're from, you need time, you need space. You're supposed to be grieving. Our grieving process, if it was any any better 15 20 years ago because of the lack of screens we're we're at like basically no time now right and again a whole other conversation but people don't take time for themselves that's what i was doing i was getting in my vehicle and just driving and crying on the road i'd be like it's beautiful but i was so upset (laughs) and those things started to come together and go i I can have a really good time of it if I take care of the things I need to and then get out and do these things.
0: So I I want to I want to echo yeah, that yeah. because I will also give you a compliment you were your grief journey helped me on mine. And you know just being able to have lunch in LA a couple of years ago Shortly after my dad had passed away, and you know, you you talking about just openly talking about your trip from Rhode Island to LA, driving cross country, as well as like the trip that you and your dad took, you know, and some of the some of the ways that you remember him, very similar to the ways that I do. It sounds like you know our dads are probably on some cosmic podcast right now, laughing about us. But I think. You mentioned something really interesting and this is something for my grief process that was really eye-opening and it's difficult to experience until you experience it. It's difficult to get a the handle on, but there comes a time where people people can't grieve for you anymore and they have to move on. Like I remember I was getting requests for client deliverables at a certain point. The rent was still due six short days after my my dad passed away and while people have grace for you there is an expiration date on it and i think you're right our sort of default in the west is to fill our time and fill our grief hole up with something else probably work or you know and we don't really give ourselves the time to really mourn and we're, it's just sort of our culture right now. Like we're just not as practiced and it's not as healthy. And like some of the habits that we've built up are, are whether they're screen related or, or otherwise, just we just don't mourn very well. We're very uncomfortable with that part of, of, of ourselves. And like you said, you still got to manage your diabetes. You still got to go to work. You still have all these other responsibilities. And like being a human is hard. And there's just, especially in today's, you know, very modern world, you know, on the screens connected to people. There's so many positives, but there's also a ton of negatives. And, you know, I think like feel it's a, what I'm hearing from you is we don't see that necessarily in the paintings. We don't see that in the t-shirt designs. We don't see that in the cool overlanding videos, but that is part of your artistic journey.
1: Well, the painting ultimately, and this is how I would explain it to my family. I go, my family really hasn't been around me physically just to that point here in my space in los angeles and san diego to watch me paint all of these things where they are an emotional like this is just two days old right this thing right behind me with some butterflies i I call it broken i call it broken even though there's a full butterfly because it's all these wings but ultimately i my interpretation of where i am in the world ultimately ends up on a lot of the canvas in my house however it's not very easily understood by people to be like, oh, yeah, depression. Look, that's not how it works. So, yeah, 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 the point. I do want to plug really quick two things. One is the thought of, and and, and it comes from my time with a the therapist. She recommended that I get a handbook. It's called The Grief Recovery Handbook. The 20th, 20th anniversary edition came out more recently. You can look it up. It's by Russell Friedman and James uh, John W. James um it's the action program for moving beyond death divorce and other losses including how about this health Mm. my therapist told me that i before i walked in that day and at any time prior to that living with diabetes i probably never looked at being diagnosed with diabetes as having grief from that and i was like (laughs) what are you talking about yeah she's did you lose something She's like, it's a loss, right? Grief is suffering a loss. Did you ever lose something? Yeah. Holy crap. 21 years ago, I lost the ability to be a normal person. I ever grief recovery handbook that outlines specific steps. Well, I and I think, I think too, like
0: knowledge. for people who are diagnosed at 16, like us, or, you know, two or three years old, five or six years old, 10 years old. You're not really in a phase of your life to like grieve, (laughs) you know, you're, you're kind of just, you know, taking it as you go. But I think that, that is also more important to do it later because later, that grief is, is still there. That loss is still there just because you haven't made peace with it or reconciled it. That's inner child work ultimately. But like diabetes is part of that.
1: Yeah. And it, and it, there's a core to it from the diabetes element because it touches everything you do. I can't do certain things, and I never had looked at it in such a way. Then, once I started to, I, I realized. Ultimately, though, you know, finding yourself in a position, especially with your artistic freedom to create and do these things, creating it is one thing. Showing it to the world is a totally different. And being in a place where you feel comfortable and confident to do both of those simultaneously—that's big. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people like me, I have a lot of art at my house right now. I'm trying to sell it, you know. But ultimately, if I was just somebody who wanted to paint, maybe I have one canvas and I repainted every week. That might be that might be something. I'm the type of person who I'm like, I want to do a show. I want to make 50 of those. And mm-hmm. I want to sell. Them. And then ultimately hard launch here on diabetics doing things. <laughs> but like. My new business that I've set up in the last couple of months here in the state of Colorado is something I want to live here. I want to start a family here. I want to be here in this state. I started my business here for that reason. But ultimately, it's a diabetes-focused endeavor because of of the ability to bridge those gaps. So my traveling and my off-roading and overlanding, sleeping in my truck with my dog, being able to do that. And then go from city to city and paint with different groups and get different projects, murals up and off the ground. That's 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 the goal and that's the hope. And we talked a little bit about being able to take, you know, some some elements of old diabetes t shirts and hoodies and that sort of stuff. That's right. Uh, and that's definitely going to be the first project that I put together here in the beginning of twenty twenty five. Um for people that i want your old diabetes wear because newly diagnosed individuals should get something from the community we're going to put some new design and and screen print something new on it and get it in the hands of people who are being diagnosed more on that to come but ultimately being able to get your creative turnout what you're doing back into the community i it was it was just something I was able to do because I could put a camera in my face with like Snapchat, Instagram. And then ultimately, it's like we need sustainable goods. We want to be, we want to do things that mean more than just, hey, a brand paid me a grand to post something for them for the weekend.
0: Well, I, I think that's what's really interesting, kind of, even about diabetics doing things is the evolution starts as a podcast, gets some traction. I've gotten a, a lot of amazing individual opportunities, some paid, some not. Most not. But the point being, you start to evolve. Like you go from, oh, hey, I got my first sponsored post. How cool is that? We got our first podcast sponsor to oh, now we're developing a diabetes education program for North Texas Food Bank. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, those aren't exactly one A to B type destinations. You know, You're like you have to learn so much in between. So I would encourage somebody if like even if you don't know what your idea really is yet. Keep going and keep hacking away at it. You know, for an artist, you, you know, your work is never done. There's no perfect painting, right? You're always a work in progress, always continuing working. Uh, as an athlete, it's the same way. You're always refining uh, and you're always adjusting, taking in information and applying it. So what I would say is that there would be no diabetes community without diabetes creators. And there is no one particular discipline that you have to be in. Right, and and while your parents were right, like insurance coverage, uh, like those basic Maslow hier- hierarchy of needs—shelter, food, coverage—we need those in order to self-actualize, in order to realize our like truer purpose, to be able to to find that output. And, you know, hard launching again. We talked about the the creator collective that we're building here at Diabetics Doing Things. You know That's what we're trying to look to do is to provide some more of those resources, provide some more opportunities, provide more of that coverage so that we reduce that burnout. Because I believe the next great diabetes innovation is going to come from somebody like a diabetes creator who just doesn't have the resources yeah, totally. yet to pull their idea you know, and bring it to life.
1: Well, I think asking the community to go back into their own world and own life and ask the right questions and prompting them to do those sort of things through visuals, through art, through audio, all of in person, any way you can. I second that. I, I wholeheartedly agree you should be doing more. The one thing too is like, we, we talked a little bit about this. You kind of get that burnout phase and then you're like, I've done this for so long, for like so many people, for, or what am I doing? And and especially on a platform like Instagram, it doesn't, At Snapchat. I used to work at Snapchat. I, I would, if you search the word diabetes on their platform, you would just get tons of snaps with the word diabetes and photos of like milkshakes and treats and candy or someone inherent drinking. Inherent stigma. Donate. St- It's what drove me from that company. Maybe we had a parting of ways, but I left the media world. I left the media agency world because I was expected on a Sunday afternoon while I was trying to move. The Kardashians, oh, right then, were doing a photo shoot. So my responsibility to get something to where it needed to be how to be done by a certain time but never met that deadline and especially when they chose to do that so i'm trying to move in los angeles from marina del rey to santa monica by myself i'm already it's the first time i'm living by myself fully doing this whole thing i gotta stop in the middle of my day put everything down and go back and do work because that's when they decided i was like f this i'm not doing this anymore this is not conducive to my lifestyle. I need to
0: be. Yeah. Because ultimately- you lose some of that freedom.
1: Yeah. Part of, I, it's a service left,
0: industry, right?
1: After I left Los Angeles, I went to San Diego, started working at Tandem. So I was like, I need to work at a job that I'm doing something good. I need to do good things. Like, let me do good. I can do good. Let me do it. Why was I doing what, what now feels like just terribly deceiving construction of, of ad campaigns that really got people nowhere like why did i want to do that forever i was a creator of what most people looked at as like oh i hate digital ads i was a an an evil trafficker of of evil i've i've trafficked billions and billions of ad impressions across the internet my guess is i at one time served most people i know a digital ad Hmm. Interesting How funny perspective. Is that? They didn't know. They didn't know. Yeah, billions. Especially, I worked in digital ad operations for ten straight years. I worked on NBC Universal. They had specific pieces of creative that garnered hundreds of millions of impressions alone one day. So there were days on Snapchat, no doubt, between 2015 and 2016 when I was working there, that people I knew would open up the app. And use something every day that, that I, you made I or you traffic. I didn't I didn't make it. I helped put yeah. it there. But because I didn't make it, it started to get to me that like, what am I really doing? I'm just doing this is like whatever. So that piece is ultimately what drove me. I was like, I need to make more for myself. I'm a create I know what I'm doing. I like colors, I like shapes. I can do this.
0: But so, I think that and and I know we're running out of time here, but that self-awareness, you didn't just curate overnight. No, no. Right. That, that takes a lot of work, a lot of inner work. And I'm sure work with your therapist on who, are, who am I, what do I want? And I think that's also part, I when I talk to my therapist about it is just like kind of aging in today's world is like, you start to realize, yeah, there are new things that are for you. And there are also some things that are not new, that are no longer for you that you either outgrow or the time just ends on. And I think those are uncomfortable and we kind of have a stigma against quitting or a stigma against leaving things behind that no longer serve us. But, you know, I I would encourage anybody listening, like if there's something that really keeps bugging you in your life. You know, I'm not telling you to go in your boss's office and quit right now, but I mean, maybe entertain the idea because that could be, you know, life's too short. I think that's another thing that grief teaches you is that any minute you're spending wasting on this earth doing something you don't want to do or that's really making you upset, you you know you run the risk of that being your last moment.
1: Yeah, I I think I I can't echo that enough. I I definitely believe in doing some self reflection. I personally have used in California and Colorado something like cannabis, and now that I'm in Colorado, psilocybin mushrooms. I I am not quick to the anger like I used to when I lived in New York City. I am not sure I get hot-headed. I get upset. I take walks. I spend more time in nature. I do more things for myself now than I ever had in any other place that I've ever lived. But I do them because I'm actively doing them for me. Mm-hmm. I want them for me. I want to do those things so that my future and my success is built on, on exactly that. So, yeah, I agree if if you're in a position now where you are creating, you're not sure, keep going, do not stop, don't stop, can't stop, won't stop. but if if that truly is the piece that's holding you up, what I would say is, who are you doing these things for, and is approval from the outside sources and the validation? Is that truly something that you feel like? If you're looking for validation and trying to recreate something that other people are doing and putting it out there, put it all down, go for a walk, put it down for weeks, take, take, take a break, come back to it with a fresh mind, but, but do it your way. You're an individual, like do it your own way. Um, and that's always something I think that I've tried to do without maybe even taught it just from school and experiences, but I, I would, it's out there and, and, now there's an opportunity to ask somebody like Rob, who's creating that, that type of space for the creators, somebody like myself, who is a creator, we'll, we'll get on the calls with you. We'll talk about what it is that can, that can be done with what you have and where you need to go, but we can't draw the plan for you. You got to do it. We just we want to help you get there.
0: That's right. Well, Matt, man, I, I appreciate you in a, in a myriad of ways, uh, your perspective, Awesome! I'm glad that Thank we you. finally got you on the podcast. <laughs> Even
1: though happy to I yeah be here,
0: seemed like seemed like we've podcasted many times over the years. But man, there's so many parallels, so many things that you and I see eye to eye on. And again, I just want to express that gratitude for you coming out and making capturing an amazing day for for all of us at, at Diabetes Legends inaugural basketball clinic in Denver. Looking forward to seeing you again, and big love to you, brother. Thanks for uh, the time coming on the show.
1: Yeah, Rob, thanks to you and your team. And I appreciate time today to talk a little bit about it. And shout out to everyone living with diabetes, doing amazing things. Hopefully we're coming to a city near you soon.